Hello, everyone, and inside today's episode of Lockdown Canadians, we are continuing to keep that prospect train rolling. We have another very special guest who's going to break down their model, their information, talk about the current Canadians prospect pool, and what's happening in the future, all inside today's show. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 627 of Lockdown Canadians. As always, thank you for making us your first listen or your first watch of the day if you're watching us on YouTube. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Matlin, joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. And Laura, we are very, very excited. We've been planning this guest for a couple of weeks now, and we are thrilled to finally have them here. How excited are you right now? I would love for our listeners to hear this episode because we get asked about a lot of things and we don't know everything, right? So we're bringing in perspectives from people who kind of do this, uh, do this on a full-time basis and and have different ways of, of quantifying and analyzing prospects. Uh, so I'm really excited to bring this perspective to our listeners and I'm very excited about our guest today. Yes. And without further ado, our guest is the fantastic Byron Bader of HockeyProspecting.com. Thank you so much for making the time. I know it's the middle of the first game of the Western Conference Finals and everything is happening. I want to thank you for taking some time to come talk to us, talk to our listeners about not only your model, but the Canadians uh, prospect pool and everything. How are you doing on uh, what is a very warm Tuesday here in Buffalo? Yeah, I'm doing awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to, to talk some some Canadians hockey. So I, I guess my biggest question is, because you run HockeyProspecting.com, which I highly recommend everyone checks out. You can subscribe to look at the different uh, charts and graphs to analyze things. What is HockeyProspecting.com? Can you kind of walk us through what um, your brainchild of work here and, uh, you know, what made that come about a little bit? Because it's been, it's all over the place. I see, you see people quote tweeting charts and everything from that. You know, what brought this about and, you know, what can people find at Hockey Prospecting? So, I mean, yeah, basically what it is, is it's a bunch of predictive models to essentially try and predict, you know, which players are going to make the NHL and then which players are going to turn into, you know, stars upon making the NHL. So a star for me is kind of like a, a big sort of you know, 97th percentile offensive point producer is really what a star is. So, I mean, essentially what it is, is it's, it's using something called NHL equivalencies, which if you're not familiar with that is, you know, all these different leagues out there, the OHL and the NCAA and the KHL and the SHL, they all have different ways um, that, you know, a point in these leagues and how it relates into an NHL point when these players sort of transition over, it's different by all these, all these different leagues. And there's like, you know, probably about 50 leagues out there that theoretically, you know, a prospect can come from. There's a couple more than that, but 50 basically that they will come <laughs> from. And, and really it's most of them come from about 10, right? So it's essentially taking, you know, all these different translations and, you know, where the players are coming from and then factoring in age and looking at sort of growth curves and you sort of normalize all the data to put all these players on the same level playing field. So when you're looking at, 
you know, these 200, 300, 400 prospects every year that are coming up and, you know, they're playing in all these different 50 leagues. It basically puts them all on the same level map so you can be able to look at them all equally. And then it shows you, you know, their equivalency, but it also shows you, you know, their probability of becoming an NHLer and becoming a star. And that's based on basically 30 years worth of history. It goes back to 1990. And there's these sort of patterns that emerge in the data of what the typical superstar looks like or what the typical, you know, 60, 70 point guy looks like or what the typical, you know, no brainer guy that's going to make the NHL looks like versus, you know, the long shots. And, you know, a lot of the players that bust out, they look a certain way. So that's basically what the model is telling you and, and kind of, um, yeah, what it's showing you. And there's a bunch of different tools within it. You can go, you can look at, you know, you can compare two players at once and see sort of all the details about them, who they compare to at the time of the draft and who they compare to, you know, after I track them for five years. So sort of after that five years of development. Um, but then you can also go back in history. You can look at like your team's, you know, draft picks for the last 20 years and see how many of them worked out to be stars and how many of them worked out to be NHLers and all this type of stuff. So yeah, there's a whole lot, there's lots of tools to it and, and lots of fun and addictive um, stuff to do on the website to, to find out more about your prospects and what your team has basically. I love uh, that like Scott was like, his mind was blown as you were talking for me. What I liked as soon as you started talking was like the contextualizing aspect, because on our podcast, I always talk about, you know, you have to contextualize things. And then in, in, in this case, your model does that for you. You don't have to do the guesswork. You can kind of see it in front of you. And Scott is like historic players, like, cause he gets excited about prospects sometimes that maybe not don't get pan out. Like I get attached to players sometimes and then they don't pan out. And if you look at it and you look at their potential and you look at it objectively, maybe their, their ceiling was always AHL point producer, right? So I'm really excited just to, to kind of talk about the Canadians in this context, but I'm going to let Scott talk about what he was just about to say when I interrupted him. I, I was going to say, because like you said, you have 20 years worth of data going back, you know, however 30. long. 30. Oh, Jesus. My God. Is there... <laughs> I guess 32 now, yeah. Oh, my Anyways, God. Yeah. One year for every team in the league now. I, I wonder with how much hockey's changed, does that kind of change the impacts and the comparisons? Like, I'm trying to think back to the early 90s players coming in there. Are you going to see comparisons closer to that with more modern players coming in? Are they going to project more towards uh, the current star crop of like the last 10 to 15 years because of that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the patterns that kind of emerge throughout, like they're pretty consistent. I mean, they've changed a little bit. The success rates have maybe changed a little bit, but I mean, all this is kind of error adjusted as well. Right. So these equivalencies of these 50 different leagues, I'm also taking account, you know, this is what the equivalency was in the 90s and the 2000s versus this is what that same league is now 20, 30 years later, right? So that's all factored into the math. But yeah, the comps, I mean, the way it works is I basically built an algorithm to go through and find, you know, the closest player that sort of when you add up the probabilities, it looks the most similar. So you get, sometimes you get comps that go back to the 90s. And then sure enough, you look at them in the model and how they, you know, their little bar graphs and stuff, and they almost look identical once you sort of normalize everything. So they can compare to, you know, players coming up right now, and they can compare to players, you know, from, from the 90s and 2000s as well. So that's, it's well worth the subscription fee just to, just to, even if you're not using it for analysis, 
just playing around with it is so much fun because it's like, I like to look back every now and then at, Hey, here's this prospect. I was really high on for a while. Let me see what their comps were. And I go, Oh, oh, okay. Maybe that was a mistake on my part. And then just going into it, especially the Canadians nowadays, they have so many prospects. They're going to add so many more here in the near future. And coming up on our next segment, we're going to pick our guest brain a little bit on the current Canadians crop here and where they have strengths where they fall short and and then in the future what can they do to get better at that and that's all coming up in our next segment but first one of our sponsors today is rockauto.com there are so many makes and models of cars it can be intimidating and often pointless to go into those chain stores try to find what you're looking for pay 30 50 even 100 percent more and maybe not even find what you're looking for but rock auto is a family business serving do-it-yourself for over 20 years and their prices are reliably low for every customer, whether you're a gearhead or just someone who wants to fix your daily driver. They have what you're looking for. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, anything you need for your car. Go check them out. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home. Go to rockauto.com and find the solution to your auto parts needs. And if you go check them out, find what you're looking for. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com and before we jump right back into our uh next segment here we have an important favor to ask all of you we've put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like you or anyone else that listens to lockdown podcast so we can make our shows even better this is your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about lockdown podcast so go to lockedonpodcast.com slash survey right now to get started won't take long. Everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. So take our audience survey, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash survey. Thank you so much for your help. We are back. We're here with Byron Bader of hockeyprospecting.com. And this is, of course, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Now that our listeners know how the model and your website works, the Canadians prospect pool is infallible in the eyes of Canadians fans, just as Edmonton's prospect pool is infallible in the eyes of fans. Abs, everyone thinks their prospect pool is the best one. How do the Canadians stack up to the other 32 teams in the NHL uh, based off of what your model is uh, projecting for their current crop of prospects? Yeah. So when I last updated kind of the, the team prospect, strength projections a couple weeks ago the canadians i believe they came in right at 10th so a top 10 prospect pool so not too bad um you know and it's in the years previous they were kind of ranked in the the mid-teens or even even the low 20s and it's improving a little bit so i was you know speaking to everybody thinking their prospect pool is the best like i would i would kind of always hear it on twitter (laughs) that you know, from the Canadians fans that, no, what are you talking about? Like our, our prospect pool is stacked. And so now it, it's getting there, but uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a slow, slow growing process, but yeah. So right now they're, they're ranked 10th. So I, I, I look at this and we talked to Tony Ferrari and a couple of other people about Joshua Waugh and that he is currently the apple of the eye of the Canadians fan base. But then we take into account the league that he plays in. He plays in the QMJHL, which out of the three in the CHL, a, perhaps fairly but unfairly has potentially the lower equivalency compared to the WHL and the OHL. And they also have a Riley Kidney in there, Xavier Simoneau, who's older. They have these guys that a lot of fans are looking at and going, 
these are guys, they're, they're can't miss stars. They're hitting a hundred points and they're leading their teams. Does them playing in a league with a little bit lesser equivalency say it's not Finland, it's not Sweden, it's not even the OHL. Does that kind of have an impact overall? Like if they were play, if Joshua was doing what he was doing in, let's say the WHL, would that boost the prospect pool up a little bit? Or am I just kind of misinterpreting what I think the, uh, the tool does in terms of rating prospects out? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the QMJHL is not that much worse, but it's probably about, uh, about seven to 10% worse than essentially the WHL and the OHL. So if he was playing in the OHL or the WHL, like he'd probably go up another level, especially in my model, which would make him look even better. I mean, he looks pretty good um, so far as whatever he was, a fourth or fifth round pick anyways. But I mean, he doesn't look like a obvious superstar yet, but there's still some runway there that he can kind of improve and, and see what happens in the next couple of years. But yeah, certainly if he was playing in, in a higher CHL league or, you know, playing in the NCAA or obviously playing in Europe, putting up those totals, then he would, he would certainly look a lot better. I, I am a little curious because the Canadians have picked players surprisingly from all over. They've gone to the NCAA. They've gone to the USHL, the U.S. high school system. They've gone to Sweden. They've gone to Finland. They've gone even to the lower tiers in Russia. I, I'm assuming the NHL is obviously like the baseline that out of, you know, if it goes up to 1.0, that is like the baseline and everything falls underneath that. What falls just below the NHL in terms of equivalency, in terms of leagues? Like if I were to be drafting and I want a player who's played in a league that has the highest equivalency, if I am Kent Hughes, what leagues am I looking at then? Well, yeah, I mean, the highest leagues are essentially like by a landslide are going to be the KHL and the SHL. But the problem is not many players in the draft year are coming from there. And when they are, they're really obvious, like they're top five guys, you know, um, and if they're coming from there and they're not producing very much, then that's kind of a bad sign, right? Because they're playing a, a bit, you know, above their skis. They should be down in a lower league if they're, you know, these prospects that everybody talks about, oh, if this player was, you know, playing in the CHL, he'd be dominating. Well, okay, well, we don't know that, but, you know, this player is currently playing in the SHL and they have like three points in 50 games. So we don't know what we're looking at here. So those are certainly the top leagues. Like if you have, if you have a player – you know, even like half a point per game coming from one of those leagues, like that's basically like heavy, heavy signs that you're looking at a, at a star in his draft year type thing. Uh, and now I don't know if you have this offhand because I know we talked a little bit before this. Out of everyone in the Canadians pool right now that your site has in there, who has the highest projection on there? Like who seems to be that person trending towards, you know, like a long, like, you know, standout NHL career right now? Well, I mean, Caulfield, obviously, I mean, if he still counts, because he's only played, I think, about 80 games or so, he has massive star potential. Um, you know, it's he, he started off pretty good in his draft year. He looked really good. And then his big year in his D-plus two year in the NCAA. And then this year, it looked like it was all kind of falling apart there until – Marty St. Louis took over and then he spiked again and you know, he, where he sort of netted out, he looks really good. So he's, he's the big star piece in the Canadian system for sure. And then, you know, probably after that in terms of star potential is probably Joshua Wah, um, has the neck highest potential. And I think he's down around 20%. So it's not, you know, he's not like that almost sure thing looking thing like, like Caulfield. So it's, it's a heavy drop off after that. And then, 
you know, other guys yet. Barron looks pretty decent. Like he's kind of around that 20% as well. So those are probably the big top three, I would say. I really like that you said that because, sorry, I I interrupted because one of the criticisms of this team has been they don't have enough talent, right? They've got, you know, whether they have good coaching or bad coaching or they have Carey Price or what, you know, they overachieve or whatever. People always talk about they don't have enough talent. Everybody looks at Nick Suzuki and Colt Caulfield and they're like, then there's a drop off. So I think that I know we're going to talk a little bit about that in the next segment. I think that it's becoming pretty clear that when the Canadians draft next, like one of the things that they have to look out for is that potential because you can't win on a one line team with two, two offensive stars, you know, that it's never going to happen. But one of the things that I was in fact curious about a little bit was how your model kind of accounts for um, I, I hate the word intangibles because it has such a negative connotation, right? But a star, like a player, like the math, the algorithm doesn't really care about whether the team has a good development system, whether they have good coaching, whether they have good support, whether the player falls off to, to injury or whatever. So I'm wondering like how you kind of factor in development as it's happening. Is it just, it gets taken out of the equation entirely? I'm talking about, let's say, uh, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, for example, somebody who's like in the system Who's in the system? Who's been in the system for a couple of years? But we still don't know what's going to happen next year in the coming three years. Yeah. So I mean, like I said before, I basically I track the players for five years. So from their pre-draft year to three years after essentially their first eligible draft year, and then for goalies it goes seven years because goalies are just crazy and they take forever. Um, so yeah, you can you basically see it in in the data. So you know if a player is rapidly developing, you'll see them start to spike and their star potential will start to spike. And when you look back in history, you know that's what a star kind of looks like. They start making these massive jumps really early. You know, um, doing it by age 20, 21 type thing. And then after that, you really start to get diminishing returns. So like, you know, let's say you have this player that's kind of been this low producer. And then all of a sudden, you know, he makes the AHL when he's 23 or something, he starts becoming like a point per game guy. And then you get really excited about it. Like, oh, we got the next big thing. But, you know, the models kind of what it shows is basically there's a point where, you know, producing massively like that in a league outside of the NHL is like, it's almost too late because, you know, he's kind of missed that age curve. Now, yeah, maybe he's boosting up his chances of, becoming an NHLer, you know, he's gone from a 30% chance of being an NHLer to now he's up to like a 60, 70% chance, but his star probability is almost zero because it's coming at such a late stage. So yeah, it all kind of factors in their, you know, their growth through those five years. And then after that, the, the player kind of is what they, they are basically. So um, yeah, so it, it kind of, it all sort of falls out out of their development over those five years. And then, like I said, you kind of get diminishing returns from there. So so we know where the Canadians rank now in the model. They are 10th, and we know that in this upcoming draft, they have 13 or 14 draft picks. And in our next segment, we're going to pick Byron's brain a little bit to see what they can do to continue to boost uh, that draft or their uh, prospect ranking coming up next. But first, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can get the latest odds, news, and developments, including the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, boxing, UFC, even NFL futures, whatever you need. And they have all the info you need, including live betting, esports, and more. So head to the website, that's betonline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online, where the game starts. So we are back with Byron Bader of hockeyprospecting.com. We are in our final segment, and before 
we launch into our next round of questions. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I've already learned a ton in the 20 minutes we've been recording, which makes me feel smarter because I'm just absorbing it via internet osmosis or whatnot. The Canadians are picking first overall this year. They are very likely taking Shane Wright, and they have another pick in the first round. They have the top pick at the second round. How much of an impact is that going to have on their immediate ranking uh, in the pool here or in your uh, in your uh, the tool and the system that you have at Hockey Prospecting? Because Shane Wright is almost a little bit unfairly, unfairly maligned for not being a superstar. He's not Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid levels of hype. He just seems to be projected as this solid NHL player. But if I'm looking at a team like the Canadians and I'm looking at their 10th overall ranking here, getting a bona fide NHL or out of the first overall pick should be a win no matter what and should likely, you know, up their ranking in the, in your, uh, uh, what is the word I am looking for here? Uh, tool here, your uh, prospecting tool. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, I would, ex- yeah, I think they have 14 picks, like you said. So I would expect that they're going to jump up huge. I mean, just basically getting Shane Wright out of the gates is going to jump everything up because, you know, that's going to bump somebody out of their sort of top five aspect of my prospect ranking. And then it's also just going to add to the depth of the system. That's where the Canadians do really well in terms of their prospect team ranking is they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of players in the system that have some potential of making the NHL. Like they have like 20 guys that, you know, have like a decent chance, like all these guys like Gooley and uh, Farrell and Norlander and Kidney and, you know, Mayu, Simono, like all these guys, like you add them up. Some of these guys are going to make them, not all of them, but you know, probably 30, 40% of these guys are going to make it. So they have a lot of depth. Um, But yeah, adding that big star piece is going to be huge. And essentially, so long as they don't kind of really mess up the other 13 picks that they have, and they, (laughs) you know, they take some, some good value, high probability guys, and not just a bunch of soda machines that don't produce at all that aren't going to make the NHL or low producing older players. Like so long as they take like a, a good amount of, good value, good quality players, like they're going to shoot way up. Like I could see them probably being a top five prospect pool by the time this draft is done, just from having the first overall pick and having this many picks and, you know, basically acquiring more assets than anybody else. Um, Cause I said, I tweeted this out the other day, but they essentially have the best draft slot of anybody. Like they, they should be assumed to get, you know, they should come out of the draft with at least one star, probably going to be Shane Wright. And they should, hope to get about three to four NHLers out of this draft. Anything above that, they're sort of overshooting the draft slot. And then below that, they're underperforming it. So, I mean, you add that many good prospects to the pool and, and they're going to shoot way up for sure. I My question with that, because you brought up a point that I hadn't thought about before based on, you said they have they do very well with depth and they have a lot of guys with a chance, but maybe not a ton with superstar potential because the Canadians mm-hmm. admittedly have not drafted well uh, in They've had their hits and they've had their misses and they've had a lot of misses. If they, with 13, 14 picks, whatever it may be, can they overcome not getting a guaranteed superstar in those high percentage slots? You know, the two first round picks, that second round pick, if they overcome that with a lot of guys with a decent chance there, does that all kind of grade out the same at the end or does drafting like two stars and then the other 12 picks are a bunch of meh to okay kind of even the playing field a bit. 
Yeah, I mean, why? Well, I mean, it's really hard to draft stars. There's only a few that come out of every draft. I mean, on average, you only get six to eight stars per draft. So getting one of those is really tough. So if you get two in a draft, like that basically has almost never happens. Like over the last 20 years or so, it's only happened five or six times where a team goes into a draft and pulls two out of it. So they're probably not going to get two. I mean, that's that shouldn't be the bar. But, you know, they have the first overall pick. Shane Wright looks like maybe he's not like a, you know, 1.2 point per game superstar type thing, but he should still be like a 60, 70, 80 point guy, I would guess, once he kind of hits his prime. So they should get that star. But yeah, if they can add like, you know, a lot of, you know, middle sixers or kind of, you know, middle of the rotation defensemen eventually into the system, like that's that's massive. And that's kind of what you should hope for. You know, where you where you don't want to see them going is off script and taking, you know, a lot of people that are ranked low and then they show really bad in a model like this like then you're kind of you know you've basically taken a guy that's going to be an outlier if he makes the nhl right you want to stack the deck and and just add add value and add guys that have a good chance of of making the nhl and and you know having some role so before we recorded this uh kent hughes had a press availability from the buffalo combine and that's exactly what he said is that what they're trying to draft initially he got asked a lot of questions obviously about meeting shane Wright, and he said they're looking for a player that's not just going to add to the team next year they're they're looking for a player that's going to add in the future so that kind of had a lot of people wondering what what he means by that but later on in the conversation he said what we're looking for is players who have the highest chance of making the NHL and becoming NHL players. So that to me reads like either, you know, he's read about your model, he knows about your model, or he pays attention. He seems like the kind of guy who pays attention. But I really wanted to ask, because you did mention previously that you track players before they get drafted. So presumably you've been tracking all of these guys that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks who are ready to get drafted in uh in in july so where in your mind does the star potential stack up for the top three that the consensus top three right now which i believe is shane wright logan cooley and yaroslav skofsky because it feels like anybody who was in the conversation a little bit early in the year has dropped down and those three have really separated themselves from the pack yeah, so I mean Shane Wright, he he looks good. Like he he has a really high star potential, um, and he's kind of a funny prospect because of basically what's happened with him. I mean, he got the sort of exemption status, you know, when he first joined the OHL, and he had really good production in his sort of 16-year-old year, like production that is, you know, on the on the same par as you know Crosby and McDavid and these generational types. So that's where he was kind of discussed as his generational guy because he had that type of production. But then he basically didn't play any competitive hockey for 18 months because of global pandemic. You know, he wasn't sitting there injured. Um, like you might see where a guy misses like a season and a half like that. Like he's just basically sitting there waiting to play. And then so that knocked out his whole pre-draft year. And then, you know, in his draft year, it took him a while to get going. And then by the end of the year, he's really cooking. So he looks at a little bit, you know, a little bit different than how you would expect him to look, but he still looks really good. Uh, Logan Cooley also looks very, very good. He, he looks the part of a, a top five guy, you know, bit of a younger guy. Um, good production in his pre-draft year. Great production this year. Looks really good. Be comfortable taking him, you know, in the top three. And then Slavkovsky, to me, you know, in, in my work, in my model, he's the one where it's like, you know, especially at first overall, I don't know if I w- would want to go there because 
he doesn't have super high production. And when you look at players that look like this, like even players that are drafted in the top 10 or top five, but all over the draft, like guys who look like this going into the draft, like almost never turn into a star. You know, there's a few examples like Mika Rantanen is basically the best example of a player like that turning into a star. So if you have Mika Rantanen, great, but it's essentially, you know, about 10 out of 400 of these types of players turn into a star. So, you know, is that the route you want to go down? Like I know there's, you know, he's, he's had the big world championship and he's, he's started to pick up the play like in the second half of the year, but that's one that, you know, it really, you really got to do your research on that one and make sure that this is the right pick because there's a lot of, you know, missing on that, that kind of guaranteed star you're hoping for from a first overall pick. So yeah, but certainly the other two, I would have no problem, you know, drafting those ones in the top three and they, they, they look the part. So. Is there anyone else that stands out to you? Um, like that if you were a team and you're picking high top five, you'd be like, that person should be on the list. Uh, Simon Nemitz that he's playing out of the, pro Slovak league and he's basically like a unicorn especially in terms of my model like (laughs) there's never been a player or a defenseman that's that's looked like this in 30 years there's never been a player that looks like this so he had really high production in his pre-draft year playing in the pro Slovak league and then this year he played in the pro Slovak league as well and had just like extraordinary production and basically you never see this especially you know a player having that type of role that early in a pro Euro league and producing like that, you know, normally these guys, if they make a pro Euro league like that early, like they're kind of, you know, they're, they're playing a real sheltered role and they don't produce a whole lot, but he's, you know, he's basically like driving that whole team. So he'd be one that for sure would be in a conversation of a top three for me. Um, And, and he might be in there, you know, he might be a top five pick probably goes in the top 10, but, but maybe just outside that top five. Unfortunately, as uh, much as we would love to continue to pick your brain about your model and the rankings and everything in this draft, we have come to the end of our show, unfortunately. Unfolding behind me uh, in the hockey game is absolute insanity, and I do not want to rob our guest of that. Uh, So before we go, Byron, do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work right now? Yeah, absolutely. So the the website is hockeyprospecting.com, and like you said, you can sign up there for a yearly subscription uh, it's 25 bucks and you can get access to all the tools and uh, 30 years of history. And then I'm just on Twitter at Byron M. Bader and I post different stuff about players and factoids and stuff. So follow me there and ask me any questions. And as always, you can follow us at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube. Subscribe. We hit a thousand subscribers. We do something gross because that is the brand now. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick and myself at Scott Matla. And when you are done checking us out, please check out Lockdown NHL where they have all your recaps, everything every night from all of our local experts. If you love us, you're going to love Lockdown NHL. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time.